So, you know, all of these things are coming together. And it occurred to me sitting in that in a courtroom where I have opposing counsel physically throwing money at me and a judge, you know, hurling all of these biases that he, I guess, grew up with. There are certain rooms that I'm going to enter and it really doesn't matter uh, what schools I've been to, right? What, what challenges I've overcome, uh, you know, what, what stages I, I, I get to take, what accolades I've made for myself. There are going to be rooms that I walk into and that none of that will ever matter. All they're going to see is a homeless kid from Brooklyn, right? That was a hard reality to accept. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I'm joined today by Rob. And Rob, welcome to your first podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I know you're a little nervous, I think, coming on, but I promise it's not a painful experience. And I think this is be one of many podcasts that you join me on. I hope so. I look forward to it. Yes. And, and for those who don't know, Robin just joined Morgan Akins this week. I am, I, I, I don't know. I think she's seen it in like 16 reports to clients, how thrilled I am to, to have her. Um, but I'm really happy to have you come on and, you know, do more podcasts with me and, you know, do all the, form this relationship together too. So I here publicly, I'm here to say, I'm so happy to have you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so excited to join the firm. So today we have a more serious podcast um, than typical. Uh, we have on Nicole Suisa today, and I, Nicole's been on the podcast before, um, but she's been going through a just a, a really heart-wrenching custody battle for her seven-year-old daughter. And for those who've listened to prior podcasts with Nicole, you'll know that you know her daughter is her world um, as she's really pushed her career up, 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 all for the benefit of, of her daughter and she's just to, to know that this is going on with her uh is heart, heartbreaking for me and I had suggested you know why don't we come on and talk why don't you come on and talk about you know what's happening and the injustices that you're seeing in the legal system and family court um and you know she, she's happy to share it as, as hard as it is for her to talk about so you know and I, I think it's eye-opening for others to listen to so with that let's bring her in Good morning, Nicole. Welcome to the Defense of Arrest. I'm so happy to have you back. I think this is what, number three for you? I think it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we, nice to we, see you again. Good to see you. Always good to see you. We've ironed out some of the kinks. I think your first your first podcast, we had technical difficulties. The next one, we, we ironed out the technical difficulties. <laughs> so smooth sailing today. Okay, third, third time's <laughs> always a charm. <laughs> And, you know, this is Robin's first podcast, so we will be kind to her. I think we're, well, we're never unkind. I think this is like, I don't know for, I say this all the time. This is like my most fun part of my job. So, um, and you know, for our, for Nicole, I think I had mentioned this to you. Robin just joined the firm last, last week, right? No, this week, this no, week. Monday, Monday. It's oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Monday feels like, I don't know, like a month ago, there's been so much happening this week. Right. <laughs> but, Boy, Dude. you're starting you're starting her off with the Brooklyn girl, huh? You're really yeah. messing her out. <laughs> I, I did say, look, you know, if you don't want to come on, you don't need to come on. <laughs> but I promise Nicole is a great one to start with. <laughs> so that's all right. Well, we'll see how it goes. Welcome, Robin. How are you? Why, thank you. How are you, Nicole? I'm well, thanks. 
So we are changing gears a little bit today, um, you know, for our listeners out there, like oh, Nicole and I have gotten close over the, I don't know, I guess I, the first time we were on probably a year ago, you and I have kept in touch. And so this, this podcast has a little more personal, definitely more personal feel to it because it's about, you know, something going on in, in, in Nicole's life. And I'm going to let her, her talk about it a little bit more, but something I, I say is like pretty traumatic and all, all consuming, um, and also very interesting legal issues going on. So I thought, well, this is a, you know, wonderful platform for you to come on and talk about it. And also just because I just love chatting with you and <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take it anytime I can <laughs> to, to get you on and, you know, share some, you know, chat and share some stories and things. So um, with that said, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So I want you to, you know, let our, our listeners know, like, what are we here to talk about today? Yeah, no, and I, I think it's a pretty accurate way of describing it. <laughs> Traumatic and all <laughs> is, is a, about right. But uh, we're going to talk about my my current custody appeal and, and ongoing custody mm-hmm. case for my daughter, not because it's, it's my own personal story, but because as there, there's Nicole, the mom, right, which is me, hundred percent of the time. <laughs> but, yes. right? We never turn it, like it off. Right, right, right. And then there's and then there's Nicole, the lawyer, right? And they're usually in that order. Uh, and so from a practitioner's standpoint, I think my case is bizarre uh, in the way that that it went, uh, both procedurally and uh, looking at the judicial conduct within my case. And that's the only reason I think it's something that's important to talk about. Uh, as I've reached out to more folks and I've gotten people to reach out to me, turns out that um, this happens more often than I thought, that that judges behave this way and, and that cases just go awry like this. And so I think that we ought to be talking about it because I, I that runs afoul of the general misconceptions about how mothers do in family court or how right. Right, the normative statements you hear of, but you're her mom. That shouldn't be happening. Well, it is happening. Now let's figure out why. Yeah. Well, why don't we back up a little bit, though? Um, one thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, a theme that we've had during our our podcast a lot with you is, you know, your devotion as a mother. And like, look, we're we're. Robin and I are both mothers too, and it, it goes without saying you you are devoted to your kids. But it, it has been a theme with with our episodes because you've worked really freaking hard to get where you are. Um, right. And I mean, even I think the last podcast we talked about how hard you you really clawed your way to the top. But your motivation has always been your daughter, and she has been so central to to why you've worked your your ass off because you you just want to provide the best possible life for her. Um, so then when, then later the summer, when you and I were talking more about what's going on with you personally, which I didn't even know, like you kept a good front that you had all this <laughs> turmoil going on behind. So, you know, I, I don't want to say good for you because sometimes it's not good. You don't want to have all, you know, shove all those things down, but you know, it, it, I had no idea that that was going on in, in your life. Um, but it's so it was so shocking to me that it had been going on just because like really you just put all your blood, sweat and tears 
into your career to advance it so you could be the best possible parent and lawyer at the same time. As well as role model. I mean, yeah. think about all that you're showing your daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that that was the goal, right? That was the idea. <laughs> you know, look, it's, I'm accustomed to having people look at my past and my upbringing and how unorthodox it was. You know, I understand that childhood homelessness doesn't happen to everyone. And that statistically growing up in a broken home and being, you know, being in extreme poverty and being a first generation, everything, you know, makes you statistically unlikely uh, to succeed. I don't think I'm unique. I know, I know a lot of people like me, but I also know that there's a lot of people who don't know a lot of people like me. And it seems that in Northampton County (laughs) of Pennsylvania, that's exactly what I was dealing with. I'm sitting in front of a judge who apparently believes that Puerto Ricans are immigrants, mm-hmm. that my mother came to the mainland to give birth in America. <laughs> which my mom was Puerto Rican and grew up at the board of the state in Brooklyn, that people who are homeless are mentally ill and dangerous, quote unquote, that I'm odd because I succeeded and that it's just so odd he couldn't comprehend it and that it makes me dysfunctional. Um, <laughs> that my daughter's father by comparison is wholesome when in reality the only difference between us is a few skin tones Mm -hmm. uh that well and 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 your sex right our gender yes gender although uh, although you know we're gender bending pretty hard because i'm now paying 1674 in child support (laughs) a month right to compensate for the fact that he for whatever reason isn't making the income i'm making perhaps because he's doing something he's not licensed to do. Um, (laughs) So, uh, you know, all of these things are coming together. And it occurred to me sitting in that in a courtroom where I have opposing counsel physically throwing money at me and a judge, you know, hurling all of these biases that he, I guess, grew up with. There are certain rooms that I'm going to enter. And it really doesn't matter. Uh, what schools I've been to, right? What what challenges I've overcome, uh, you know, what what stages I, I, I get to take, what accolades I've made for myself. There are going to be rooms that I walk into and that none of that will ever matter. All they're going to see is a homeless kid from Brooklyn, right? That was a hard reality to accept. Um, harder still is that within that realm, I'm fighting for my daughter. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like this double personal issue going on. Uh, The fact that I happen to be an attorney and an attorney with the most licenses in the room (laughs) was was used against me, if anything, it's she should know better. She's an attorney. Well, so is everybody else in the damn room. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. right? We're all attorneys here. I got I got attorneys throwing money at me. Everybody's an attorney in the room, supposedly. (laughs) We had a judge who was old enough to be my grandfather, right? So, uh, you know, um, for whatever reason, I was expected to know better than everybody else, despite the fact that I was mom and litigant in that role, not attorney. I had an attorney. I am not the attorney, right? Um, And then I was being held to task for everybody else's conduct. The fact that my ex-husband, you know, buckled under the stress of that custody fight and the fact that that dissolved my marriage and unfortunately 
he used alcohol as a coping mechanism, which ultimately led to the dissolution of our marriage. It was my fault that I married an alcoholic or that I married somebody who became an alcoholic, right? It was my fault that my ex dropped me off at an abortion clinic. And it wasn't me to save my daughter's life who I carried and got spliced open to. (laughs) It was somehow paternal grandmother who saved her life, right? Um, (laughs) You know, there's a lot going on here that when when people talk about micro and macro aggressions, they were all at play. Mm -hmm. They were all at play at the same time. Right. Uh, And that's what I wasn't expecting. And now I read these transcripts over in this case. And now I read them not as a mother, but as a as a as a lawyer. Right. Going through this, I was going through this as a mother and it was emotionally tolling and debilitating and all encompassing and traumatic. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Now I read the transcripts as as a practitioner what can i learn about family law here i'm not a family law attorney and and after this i don't think i ever want to be yeah none of us are here (laughs) (laughs) what what can i learn here about family law what can i learn here about you know the the administrative process what can i learn here about you know how this is decided um and the answer even reading the transcripts now months later as I go through the appellate process and I have to reproduce these records for the superior court um, is not much procedurally. Uh, and I think judges really need a re-education. Yeah. If this is, if this is how judges are thinking on the bench and this is how they're, you know, they're, they're ad- administrating family law justice <laughs> from the bench, uh, a serious re-education needs to be going on. So, Let's let's back up a little bit so yeah. our our listeners aren't confused as to where where we are and where where we where or where you are and where you started. Um, so all, this you're appealing a decision that came down this this summer, right? Um, on the the custody arrangement for for your daughter that you and your ex, her father, mm-hmm. had been fighting about for several years, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and. Before this summer, uh, before the, the the order that you're appealing, what was the arrangement at that point that you, that you were like? What was the arrangement that you were fighting about originally going into the summer? If that makes sense. Yeah. So let yeah. Let's let's. I mean, she's only seven, so it's an easy context to yeah. go. With. <laughs> uh, you know, like I've told you, and I think in other podcasts we talked about this briefly. Uh, my daughter was very much an unplanned event. Her father and I have never been married. The one time I have been married was to another gentleman who was her stepfather mm-hmm. later on in her life. Uh, I got pregnant in law school. I had my baby three weeks before the bar exam. <laughs> Would not recommend. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and, and we kind of just, I, I was a single mom for the first four and a half years of my daughter's life. Uh, her father decided to quit his job and he went to law school. So, you know, first three years of her life, he was in school and I was the one working and we had this amicable co-parenting arrangement where she was with me most of the time. Uh, There came a point in my career where I started working at, you know, a really high powered firm and 90 hours was a light week. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. uh, he was clerking and hadn't yet been licensed or passed a bar exam. And so he had more time while I had more financial resources as I was, you know, accruing a better and better salary. Uh, so we had made this arrangement that he was going to have a school year, you know, the pre-K school year, so that she wouldn't be with a nanny. So she wouldn't be raised by a third party, a stranger, because it, it incensed us both as her parents, if we're available one way or another, that she be raised by her parents. That was the idea. A good co-parenting. Possible. Yeah. Right. To the right. extent possible. And I still believe that a child should be raised by, the, by their parents as long as parents are healthy parents. Right. Um, later on, I, I met my ex-husband. We were dating. We moved in and decided to get married. And at that point, things got acrimonious with my daughter's father. And then he, ref he, he didn't want to you know, honor the arrangement that we had, he then filed for custody. Um, this was around the pandemic, around the time the pandemic broke out. Uh, so she wasn't even with me or him. She was uh, in Milton, Pennsylvania with his mother because there were no cases then. Our counties were getting pummeled. You know, at the start of the pandemic, New Jersey and New York were the hardest hit. Uh, and he lives right over the border in Pennsylvania. So his county wasn't faring out much better. And so one of the only counties that we could think of that had zero cases in the beginning was his mother's county. And school was closed. Neither of our offices had closed yet. So we decided to send her to his mom's and then we would take turns mm -hmm. visiting, right? Uh, he, there was always this level of control that he wanted that I never let him have. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was always this, you know, level of inappropriateness of, you know, trying to, I guess, rekindle the relationship, um, which I didn't want. Uh, I was done with that chapter. The romantic relationship was over. As far as I was concerned, we would amicably co-parent. I'm on your team. I will always be your friend. We have a child. Eventually, one day we might have grandchildren. And to that extent, you will always have this very important place in my life but it won't be as my romantic partner. Uh, and that was something he had a hard time accepting. He certainly didn't deny it in the court transcripts, <laughs> which is, you know, it's amazing how much was actually admitted to and how much was subsequently ignored. Um, and nonetheless, I made that effort, right? So when a new guy comes into the picture, there's some uh, jealousy. Issues. Yeah, right. Um, apparently, his family didn't even know that we had separated as a couple. He didn't tell them, <laughs> he didn't tell them right? So, <laughs> uh, you know, here I am dating as a single mom, and his mom is treating me like I'm cheating on her son, who I had broken up with all three years prior. So, <laughs> you know, she's just a little late on the memo, but that's all right. <laughs> it happens. I understand. I, he didn't, I mean, he didn't tell his mom I was pregnant either. I did. So, you know, news doesn't travel very fast on that side of the aisle, unless it's coming from me directly, right? So that's okay. Um, what wasn't okay was using the child, you know, as a pawn for control. And that's what's happening here. I've, I've done a lot of reading. They call it counter-parenting, right? There's a lot of counter-parenting happening here. Uh, the child is being used as a medium for information between mom and dad. 
the child is not going to therapy, even though it's court ordered because mom wants it, right? Like there's it's being a deliberate contrarian here. Uh, if I make a suggestion or I make a, a criticism or I have an issue with the way she's being treated, I'm told that it's not my effing business what goes on in his house. So there's a lot of counter parenting. And instead of treating my daughter like a child, like, like a soon to be one day autonomous human, she's being treated like chattel. Yeah. Right. Or that's such a legal term, like property, right. That, well, that, I can, mean, yeah. that can be moved back and forth that we're, you know, it's almost like you get divorced and you split the assets, you know, and you sell the house and you say, you can't sell the child and split the, split the assets. Oh. Right. But she's treat, she's being treated as an asset that is to be split or moved back and forth between the parents. And really what he wants is more control, not more parenting time because he never lost parenting time. I lost parenting time. Yeah. <laughs> so lots of it. Right. So what went from me being her primary parent now turns into me being the every other weekend parent, which I have never been. Mm-hmm. We get to court in 2020. I have some court master that I've never heard of before who happens to be the client of opposing counsel, mm. former client of opposing counsel, whose husband is current client of opposing counsel. Nobody says a word about it to me. Wow. Right? Conveniently, right? Uh, and she is hella aggressive on the phone about how she's got the judge's ear. Turns out she was a judge's former intern or some mm. something of the like. They're all related. And, uh, and she can see to it that I get even less time if I don't agree to this interim arrangement. And the interim arrangement was I would get three weekends out of every month. He would get the school year while we litigate, while we litigate. I never imagined that litigation was going to take two plus years. Right. It's the only child I got. Right. And I, and I, and I barreled into motherhood like a bat out of hell. I mean, it was not planned. I was not married. This was not, you know, not structured. Like I have no idea. Everything I do with her is a first time do. (laughs) You know, no idea that this was going to take as long as it did lawyer or not, you know, at this point, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I'm a panicked mom whose kid just got taken who I haven't seen in weeks and who I'm being told I will not see unless I agree to X, Y, and Z sign on the dotted line. Right. Um, I didn't find out what the relationships were until 15 months into the case. Yeah. 15 months. They, they have already made adverse decisions because I have filed motions. All of them were denied. Adverse decisions are being made. And 15 months into the case, after consulting with the ethics committee, right? Wow. Does the president judge recuse his entire bench? Actually, the judges all recuse themselves except for one. And at that point, I recused that one. I'm like, well, yeah. Right. <laughs> eight, eight out of nine judges here are recused. I'm going to trust the one that's sitting there. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, kind of like Trident, you know. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, there's impropriety and there's the appearance of impropriety. And as attorneys, we try to avoid both. So at that point, pretty much the entire bench was recused. My issue with that is the conflicts of interest that led to that recusal existed on day one. Mm-hmm. They existed on day one. My my ex's aunt works for the bench. We knew that, you know, the the the, uh, the court conciliator is in bed with opposing counsel. Knew that one, you know. These are, uh, these are issues that we've known from the beginning, and it took this court 15 months and a series of adverse decisions on the record to recuse itself. Mm-hmm. And that's right out of the bat. That's before we get to the visiting judge and all of that 
circus. Right. Right. All while, again, you like you have to remember that this took 15 months and there's a, at that point, what your daughter was five. At that point, so she's five. Yeah. So then you have a, a little girl waiting in the wings with her life in flux. Yeah. Because these adults can't play nice and aren't being adults. And she is, she is traumatized. Sure. Because she comes home and she's happy to be home. Mommy's here. And then it's time for her to leave again. Mm -hmm. She, every Sunday, it's the same show and he sees it. And, and I just, as a mom, it's counterintuitive to me to watch my daughter scream, screaming, holding on to her bedpost, screaming, crying, kicking off her shoes, saying, I don't want to go, being ripped off of the adult that she's holding on to in the room. I can't imagine watching that and still being okay with what I'm doing, mm-hmm. right? If this were the inverse, if this were the inverse and she so desperately wanted to stay with her father and I had to rip her off of her father, screaming mm-hmm. and crying and, and red-faced and flushed and freaking out, I don't know that I could. You know, at that point it would be like, okay, 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 okay. Right. You want to stay with daddy? Okay. No, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll see you next weekend. Well, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, right. I don't anything for the kid, anything, you know, like at that point, it's like, just make it stop. You know, I don't know that I could. Um, and that to me was a telling moment. Never mind the fact that he's saying on the record that he doesn't want her going to therapy because he has to protect his legal interests. Never mind that part which I thought was by itself, like, what? But the physical part of it, the real part of it, where you're standing in my apartment, you know, watching me and my husband trying to console your daughter, who is telling you in no uncertain terms, screaming in tears, that she wants to stay here and she wants to stay with her mother and why are you making her go? The fact that you could fold your arms, say zero, say nothing to console her, and then physically rip her off of me and put her in your car was telling, mm-hmm. telling as a parent. And I just, at that point, it's like, if you can't trust your co-parent to love and protect your child as much, or if not more than you do, who the hell do you trust? Who the hell are you supposed to do? It, like, everybody's like, well, you know, if it were me, I would have just kept her. From who? You know, again, like, <laughs> It's her father. I'm not taking her from the nanny. It's her right. dad. Like if, if I can't trust her dad, right, to, to be the other bookend to me, then what are we doing wrong here? You want to talk about dysfunctional? You know, paint me with a scarlet letter all you want. I look good in red. But you know, <laughs> functional, you know, you know, that's dysfunctional is the fact that I thought I had a, an amicable co-parenting relationship and the guy I thought I had that relationship with is just indifferently ripping my daughter off of me on a weekly basis. Yeah, and and the the other part of the conundrum is is you know, you have to push her to go to him because if you don't, then you're in contempt of an order and it's going to be held against you. <laughs> no kidding. And that was a lot of that to go around of mama, don't you want to keep me here? Why yeah. don't you mama, why don't you want to keep me? Why don't you want me? 
Why are you making me go? Tell, tell Dada I'm not going. Like, sweetie, it, I wish I could, is what I would tell her. I wish I could, yeah, you know? Right. Tell him I'm not going. I'm like, well, you know, don't, don't you want to see your friends? No. Don't you want to see your father? I'm sure he wants to see you. He doesn't even like me. What? Yeah, and this is, she's six years old. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, we want to talk about how uh, I'm dysfunctional and how impactful my upbringing was. And yeah, it was. It was so impactful that I made damn sure I'd never go back to it. Right. And neither did my child. Right. It was impactful, not for the reasons you're trying to, to portray, but it was. Right. You know what else is impactful? The relationship that a girl has with her dad. I didn't have one. And I, I certainly didn't have a good one. Right. Yeah. And so it was all the more important, even if I had to force this guy because he didn't want to be a father. This is the same guy who dropped me off at a clinic and left me there. He didn't want to <laughs> be a father. Right. I forced him to be a father. But nonetheless, his participation was paramount in his daughter's life. Yeah, the relationship that she has with her dad is foundational to the relationship she's going to have with men. And at six years old, for her to surmise that daddy doesn't even like me yeah. really you know, puts a void there that she's going to go seeking in other people, right? And the, you know, the fact that a court can pick and choose you know, the social issues that it's cognizant of yeah, in, between men and women is wild to me because that, that seems like a really obvious one, mm -hmm. right? It, this is a child who is academically advanced. This is a child who's been described by every adult who meets her as precocious. This is a child with an advanced vocabulary and a reading level two grade years ahead of where she's at. And she's telling you eloquently and clearly how she feels about things and nobody's listening to her. They're asking her leading questions. They're, they're pretending they don't hear her. They're deflecting, right? She's telling you that she feels like she's the only Jewish kid in the room and you're telling her people aren't perfect, whatever the hell that means. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And, you know and, then, and then turning her attention to the fact that her dad has a church. Actually, her dad doesn't have a church. Her dad doesn't even go to church. There is a church in his town, <laughs> but he doesn't have one, okay? And uh, if he did, it would be questionable because men who have churches don't drop women off at abortion clinics. So, <laughs> right, you know, let, let's keep it real, okay? Keep it real. <laughs> let's, let's stay there in reality, please. Right, so it's the adults in the room who are not listening to her that as a woman makes me so frustrated. It makes me so frustrated, right? As women, we're, we're told to shut up. We're told to take less space. We're told to just follow along. We're told to smile and look pretty. You know, we're told to be agreeable and amicable and everything else. And those are the examples that she's being given by people that look a lot more powerful than her. You see a big guy with a, with a head of white hair and a robe, you think he's God when you're seven years old. Mm -hmm. Attorneys think he's God when he's doing your case. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. So she's sitting there in front of these people that look so much more powerful than her, I'm sure, you know, and they loom over her and they're ignoring her and she's going to normalize that. And that drives me crazy. And also like what, one thing that sticks out to me that too, is that it, it seems to be that the, everyone completely ignored or, or as you've talked about, kind of used your background against you rather than an asset you know, like, like, 
I mean, and as a child, you have no control over the environment that you were born into and you're brought up in. The only <laughs> thing you have control over is your, really your, yourself and your, your future. So you were born into like, and I'm not discounting your, your mother at all, but you were born into a shitty situation and it's <laughs> yes. not your fault. Like it's, it's not your fault. And I, and, and what you've done with that experience is you've let it shape your, your future. And that should be a positive, I think for, for you, because it makes you such an even better role, role model, you know, and that you've put all of this in I'm like losing the words which is very unlike me Um, (laughs) losing the words to explain it but I mean it's like they've they've twisted this I think a giant asset and positive to make it a negative and putting a negative on you over a situation that you literally had zero control over like what what were you supposed to do as as a child you know like what, what were you supposed to do and now as a result they're hurting your child yeah. <laughs> and, and kind of pushing her in, in a corner because of something partly because of something that you had zero control over it would be different if you were currently homeless you right. know what I mean or, or you were a, like a, a drug addict you know or they had something on, on the record of that would that could provide some layer of evidence that you were somehow an unfit parent but in fact it's the complete opposite at least in my eyes. <laughs> and, and nobody, and nobody <laughs> said as much, right? Nobody yeah. could say as much. I mean, they, they, the whole, they had a whole expert who was our co-parenting counselor who was supposedly neutral, a whole expert who couldn't say as much, right? Um, I don't think anyone can or has argued that I'm an unfit mother. Nobody has. In fact, you know, his own mother said, no, she's, she's Sarah's idol. You know, her daughter, oh, apparently, and that's, from the other side you know my my daughter idolizes me my daughter exemplifies me if i wear my hair a certain way she wants it that way if i you know if you ask her what she wants to be it's most of the time whatever mama's doing you know she she idolizes the things that that i do and she exemplifies them and i think that's great and it's part of why i go so hard at things is because i she's watching and it's very <laughs> obvious that she's watching i am often reminded that she's watching so you're watching a long time don't say anything around your of my kid you don't want repeated <laughs> watching at all times um the, the truth is what it is it, and, and it's it's pretty plain you know it was a it's a small tight-knit white homely community that i don't fit into Right, Northampton County, I don't think I will ever fit into. I, every time I roll through there, you know, the Puerto Rican <laughs> population goes up 100%. I'm not even sure they have. <laughs> you know, it's it's like, uh-oh, it's that New Jersey plate again. You know, like everybody starts sweating. You know what I mean? I don't, I, it's very obvious I don't fit into that county, and that's all right. You know, I'm, I'm foreign. I'm, I'm a little too tan for people's comfort. My hair is not naturally this straight. It's curly as all get out. You know, I have, a, I have an accent. I have a swagger. I have a demeanor that, that does not scream small town, right? And so I understand that in some spaces, I will make people feel uncomfortable. I, I could sit there quietly and would make people feel uncomfortable. Never mind when I open my mouth. Then I just <laughs> right? You go from uncomfortable to pissed. Um, I don't think that that is a reason to decide that 
I can't do what I've been doing for the first right. nearly five years of my daughter's life. Yeah. You know, I, I don't understand. I understand that he has immediate family surrounding him and he does. His family is nearby. And that is one of the 16 factors of child custody in Pennsylvania. If you look at the statute, which by the way, this judge helped to write and his motivation for writing it was so that mothers didn't have an advantage in family court. Mm -hmm. So I can already see the gender issues at play. Uh, And his textbook is as old as I am and reads as quite antiquated. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these 16 factors are there and having family and family support immediately available to you is but one of those 16 factors. The other problem is how we define family, right? Right. I wasn't, I wasn't born with a great deck of family card hands. My paternal family, who there are a lot of them, the Suisas are half of Israel, right? (laughs) They're in Israel. They're super far away, right? So they're not, while I do see them every year when I can, minus the pandemic, and my daughter has been there five times out of her seven years, they are far, objectively. Mm My mother you know, was adopted. And so there, and while I do have her adopted family, they're, they're kind of scattered, right? So he has an advantage of having blood relatives because apparently that is what this judge classified as family. Because when I started to talk about my support structure, which I have built, I chose my family in that sense. I have a congregation I'm very close with. The cantor testified on my behalf. I have friends I've had for 19 years which if you consider how many times I've moved in my life is pretty remarkable. <laughs> right? so I, 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 the family that I have are people that I trust and that I'm close with and that I've known Sarah since birth and I'm very attached to them. So I have a community. They're just not blood related to me. And right. for whatever reason, this judge was making that distinction. And I got told to my face that I have no family. And then I got asked if my mother was mental, right? Uh, which I don't know what he was basing that on, but... But that's, you know, neither here nor there. It's how you define family. And oh, by the way, there is case law, right? About not being able to do that. (laughs) You cannot decide for people how they define family. You can't, right? And so think about it. Think of how even the pandemic reshaped, I think, that, that thought process for a lot of us too. I mean, you ended up potting with, you know, Uh, people who live near you like I mean it's just it's just changed I think a lot of people's framework um of what is family to them you know and so a lot of this was well he has a wholesome you know available close family to him and sure I don't know about the wholesome part but sure yeah (laughs) family Uh uh-huh but listen they've got as many divorces as we've got on this side I don't know what's wholesome about that but sure you know that's fine he does have family However, when you're dealing with the rearing of a child, priority doesn't go to a paternal aunt because she lives three minutes away when mother is home, working from home 100% of the time (laughs) and able and willing, you know, and dying to raise her child, right? So having family does not prioritize allowing a child to be raised primarily by a third party, whether she's related or not, she's still a third party. Anybody who's not mom or dad is a third party. And this court has taken this child knowing that there's a third party that bathes her two to three times a week, 
that's feeding her dinner, that's picking her up from day camp, that's taking her to, to dance class, that's doing all of these maternal things for her when mom is right here and being totally overlooked, mm-hmm. right? That's just the reality of what's happening. It's in the transcripts. Nobody denies it. That's what's happening. This guy doesn't even bathe his daughter. That's what's happening. So nowhere in any kind of case law does it say that you take a child, you pluck her away from her mother, you give her to father and paternal aunt because the family happens to be there when mother is actually fit. Mother's not fit. That's a different story. Mm -hmm. But nobody's arguing that and nobody can. Mother is fit. Right. So why, why, why are we taking a child and placing her with a third party? And telling me that I, quote, relinquished custody really isn't fitting the bill, because according to the very textbook that, you know, judge on the bench is relying on, a.k.a. his own, it says that if a parent temporarily relinquishes custody in order to better that parent's position, a.k.a. work or school or something that benefits the parent's position to help them better parent, you cannot hold that against them. So having a judge tell me I relinquished custody when I'm working at Deloitte for 90 hours a week and solely, solely financially supporting this child isn't cutting it. It's not a Sophie's choice to be a mother and a career woman. It's not, it shouldn't be. It is in reality, but it shouldn't be, right? The fact that I'm having a court multiple judges on this court, one of who is female, by the way, multiple judges on this court tell me that I had to choose, because that's what you're saying when you tell me I relinquished custody, that I had to choose between being a corporate executive and attorney and being a mom. Nobody ever tells a father to make that choice. In fact, her father got to quit his job where he made twice what I did back in the day, right? To go to law school on a frolic of his own in South Carolina, eight states away from his daughter, right to moonlight as an attorney and wait two plus years for his license nobody told him what i was told no one Mm -hmm. he wasn't that wasn't relinquishing custody that's wholesome parenting apparently that and the fact that i created an environment for him to have an amicable co-parenting relationship for whatever reason is being credited to him not to me right hmm well can't wait to talk about this on Sunday at my TED talk. (laughs) (laughs) That's the frustration. And, you know, and I know I sound fired up and pissed off. It's because I should be. I'm fed up. This is ridiculous. You you can't telling, you know, I know we had, we had a podcast about this with, I think your your partner, Wendy, where Mm -hmm. we were talking about how you listen, women can't have it all. You can't do both at all times. And I agree with that, but I'm pissed that I have to agree with that. I agree. Women can't have it all, obviously. But why the hell not? Why not? You know, like why? That, that's the problem. Is what, what are we doing? That's making it impossible, right? I know. And so that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. There are very real implications to doing what I'm doing and acknowledging that I can't have it all. I literally had my kid taken from me over it. That sucks. Right. So yeah. So we fast forward you know, well, not really fast forward, but you know, we're in the summer, we get this, you get this order that Mm -hmm. now, um, you, you get, what is it? You get weekends and you get a 30 minute phone call. Oh yeah. That That blew my mind that she could only call you once a day and it was only to be for 30 minutes. Correct. And and he sets a timer when we call. He's seven. Like she don't talk talk well, but they also like kids don't, 
Hawkwell on the phone. You know what I mean? Like, and she they don't. That. It's face. Oh, she does. What's it's like it's kind yeah. of like And but part of the reason that went in there is because our calls norm before this were like an hour, and that used to drive him crazy. He he yeah. he would lament about it. Like, like when my daughter comes home from school, it's an hour that she can sit in my office and sit there and tell me everything that happened that day. Like girls yeah. just do that with their mom. They don't do that as openly with their fathers. Yeah. Right? But yeah. I guess also what I'm thinking of is like, I think some of the most impactful conversations I have with my kids are in the car yep, or right before bed, Yep, you know, like it's not actually a during like forced times like it, it happens very or, organically when they like because sometimes when they get home from school too they like they like they might not be ready to talk at that point or they you know but it's a, at least for in my house it's the car or laying in bed where all the things start coming up and and you know you're forcing her to have a, th- a 30 minute only conversation at x time and taking away from her like the support that she she really needs um from mom you know and i don't know I, I, all kids need it. it's not just girls needing it from their mom boys every all the kids need that that safety outlet um that she's not getting and safety is a really good word yeah right? she i wanted my daughter in therapy um i look i believe in counseling i didn't grow up in a family that did but i do and given she's gone through a lot, you know, she, she was very attached to her stepfather. So our divorce was impactful to her. She had to lose him, you know, and I, I cut him out pretty directly when I realized he had a problem, uh, because I didn't think that that was healthy for her. And I I just couldn't tolerate it. He's a, he's a good man. He has a good heart. It's not that I didn't love him. It's not any of that. Um, but you and made a choice for her. Right. And I made family. a choice for her, right? He was very, he was a wonderful stepfather. He, it wasn't, you know, their relationship I never worried about. And oddly enough, neither did anyone else at that trial. Like everyone testified that he was great with her. Um, so that was hard for her to lose this, this man that she was so bonded with. Uh, this whole custody thing has been crazy traumatic for her. You know, leaving my home is a traumatic event every week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I gave her, I tried to give her outlets by which to express herself. We took painting classes. We, you know, we, we go to this place called artist people and we make our own, you know, canvases. I gave her a journal that went disastrously Mm, Uh, because yeah, her father did not want her having the journal and that turned into a DV incident. Oh, because there's so much harm in having a space to write freely about your feelings. Well, the problem was she was writing about, (laughs) she was writing about the way her father is treating her. Mm -hmm. And she would write about how she didn't want to live with him because he hits her. And he didn't like that. He didn't like the things he was, that she was writing about him. And it, you know, had nothing to do with me because she's writing these things in his house. Like she's not even in my company. Right. Yeah. So she writes these things and he, you know, he took her journal from her or at least tried to. And when I fought him about it, I got chased out of his house. Right. So now she doesn't write in the journal anymore because she's terrified of his reactions. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I now have my seven-year-old managing her 34-year-old's father's emotions, right? Which makes zero sense. All the more reason she needs therapy, yeah. right? So safety is a good word because you try to, I try to give her an outlet and I want to encourage her and make her feel safe to express herself, you know, and talk and express her feelings without feeling like 
she's going to get in trouble for doing that. And it's really hard to reinforce in her when A, if I'm going to be her support system for doing that, I'm not around. So she's left to fend for herself every day. And B, she gets 30 minutes with me, which is usually being hovered over by somebody in the room or she's being distracted by television or something else. And the last thing she wants to do, unless she's speaking in Morse code, is to talk to me about what's going on in that environment. And then by the time I do get her, it's been one to two weeks, you know, and a seven-year-old's disc memory is like every 48 hours. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) a lot of the stuff that's happened that she may have wanted to discuss gets lost or is brought on at random times from random temper tantrums, right? (laughs) And random issues. And and it's hard to connect with her because I'm like, where's this coming from? Why don't I know about this? What is this? So there's a constant chasing of information. I'm on the phone with her teachers. I have to call the school nurse because it turns out she goes there every day. And I didn't know that. Neither did her dad. And then the other hard component is most parents are tag teaming. Most healthy parents, healthy co-parents or healthy married parents mm-hmm. are tag teaming with each other. Hey, did you hear this about Sarah today? Hey, I heard you went to the nurse today. Hey, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Just, just so you know, this is happening. That's happening. You know, and there's an exchange of information that's going on between the parents in order to better support the child, right? That's not happening here. Yeah, That's not happening. You have two co-parents that, you know, absolutely despise each other and are therefore not talking at all unless it's absolutely necessary. So that line of communication is closed. And when they are talking, you know, they're not sharing, like, I don't get information from him until months later and I usually have to ask for it. Yeah. I have to ask all the right questions. It's playing, it's like, it's like doing a deposition. You don't get the information you want unless you ask the right questions right. and you better be specific. <laughs> You know, so that's what's going on. And it just, it, she's also missing coping skills. Like, you know, when you go to counseling, they give you ways to work through certain events and she's not getting that because she's not one expressing it to you so that you can provide it, but also not expressing it to anybody else who's a third party who can see from the outside and say, hey, you might want to try, you know, when this happens, try X, you know, when this happens, try Y so that she can, um, you know, mentally stay stable to continue in school to continue in dance and be healthy later on in life yeah and the reason for that is and no nobody's denied it they did not want her counselor to testify in court they don't want to hear what's the, the, what they don't want to hear what the counselor's got nope they didn't right. want it they <laughs> wanted their expert right they got their expert because they hired the co-parenting counselor so they had their expert but they did everything in their power to preclude me from having any expert. I asked for a, uh, what do you call that? An evaluation, a custody evaluation, a third party independent custody eval, which would really help the court and safeguard both the court, the child and the litigants from this bias that was at play that had no business being part of the case. If you had a third party independent custody eval, that's based on objective information Mm -hmm. that this licensed qualified person, you know, acquired, which would include psychological testing and counseling of everyone involved, right? Because it's usually somebody who's like a forensic psychologist and doctor. And, you know, the guy that I had asked for, I couldn't find a more qualified person. He's got every letter behind his name. He's been to every great institution you could think of. He's been doing this longer than I've been alive. Like I went out and looked (laughs) for the most qualified doctor I could find. And I was like, okay, this guy. 
And the answer to me when I proposed him through motion was, I don't need some hotshot from New York telling me how to do my job from the judge who later recused herself in my case. Okay, well, you're not doing the job anymore. And now you've just precluded the next guy from doing any job by denying the motion, right? So again, with the, uh, with the procedural abnormalities, um, a custody eval I think would have been helpful. Yes. Not even, not even as, as an interested party, it's not even like helpful to me personally, I think it would have been helpful to the case to understand both parents and their styles and their motivations and to understand the child herself and then to, to figure out which environment that child could flourish in. Right. Yeah. And that was denied. You know, I, I hope that that's something that the superior court looks into and corrects. Uh, I, I really don't see the purpose of denying a custody eval in really any custody case. It's more information to the court. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense to me <laughs> at, at all that it would get, you know, that, that it, it would be precluded. I mean, or, or not allowed. It just doesn't, it doesn't right. make any logical sense. Right. The, the motivation seems quite clear cut to me personally. It's yeah. Yeah, stop her from telling her story at all costs. <laughs> That's right. all. You know, the so, amount of times that I got interrupted while I was on the stand, the amount of times that I got cut off and asked inappropriate questions, as opposed to allowing my attorney to do a direct examination, was telling. It's no, we we don't want this side telling their story. Right. I mean, and and is the questions that were asked of others about you were yeah. just wholly inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like astounding, astounding. So, okay. So where are we now? So you're appealing the decision, um, but like, where are we? Where are we going? Um, and, you know, other, I know that what your ultimate goal is likely, but, it, you know, just let us, give us an idea of where we are, where we're going. And other than you getting your daughter back, because that's what we all want. Um, but, you know, what, what is the goal? Here? Yeah. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of goals and they're all in yeah. the air, right? Obviously. <laughs> so where we are now is I, I have my daughter every other weekend uh, and some Jewish holidays. Uh, undefined Jewish undefined holidays. Undefined Jewish holidays. Major yep. ones. <laughs> yep. Because, you know, it's basically we get to pick and choose because, you know, Sukkot came and went, which is one of the six high holy holidays in the Jewish calendar. And he didn't want to abide by that. And so he didn't. He just took her and pretended he didn't see the text. Right. So I missed out on that holiday. Uh, and then I guess, you know, then, then I had a few extra days for Thanksgiving. Uh, and now Hanukkah's coming around and Hanukkah and Christmas are concurrent. Yes. So I I made sure I was like, listen, this is Hanukkah weekend. Hanukkah. It's like that's like the only holiday Catholics know on the Jewish calendar. I was like, it's Hanukkah. <laughs> yeah. Hanukkah holiday. Like, you know, so I have her for Hanukkah. OK, the Latin, not even all of Hanukkah, because Hanukkah is the 18th through the 26th. Right. So she's in school that week. So I really have her from like the 23rd to the 26th. Um, so I have her on, on that kind of basis. I'm paying him child support, which by the way, he never paid me child support ever, ever, never, ever. When I, when I had her to myself, in fact, he quit his job altogether. So I find that interesting. It's like, man, I should wear suspenders and a tie. I'm paying him child support. Um, which, which I want to put the caveat in there, like pay, like paying the child support to help your daughter is not 
isn't no, an exactly. issue. It, it's it's just the inequality of yes. what's happened. Right. Like I'm I'm still paying her educational expenses. There's Hebrew school, there's Hebrew classes, there's all sorts of things like that. I pay them all. Still paying for summer camps. So they're still paying are, for medical. There are actual Hebrew classes where she's living. I'm shocked. Oh, they're <laughs> online. Oh, okay. Come on now. No, they're no, they're online. They're online. I hired a tutor for her. Um, and it's really at the mercy of when he wants to cooperate. Right. right? So yes. So I still pay for that, still paying for summer camps, still paying for medical costs. Like I'm still paying all of that aside from child support, which is two and a half times his rent at this point. I'm basically subsidizing his living because she's not doing anything really extra clothes. He gets from his mother. He's got a $75 a week, uh, childcare bill for aftercare that she wouldn't need if she was with mom. Um, (laughs) (laughs) right. There's really, I'm not understanding the justification for that high a number other than the bean counting exercise that they do, which is put the incomes together, pretend that they've always had a household and then separate proportionally. So because I make so much more than he does, I pay 64% of her existence and he pays the other 36%. So, you know, to me, as a, not as a litigant, not as a lawyer, not as someone who understands numbers, to me as the mom here, okay, just personal Nicole, it really feels like it's an affront because now I'm being punished for the fact that he decided to quit his lucrative career to moonlight as an attorney, mm-hmm. right? So, and the fact that he doesn't make as much as I do should mean that I have to pay for that failure. That's how it feels. It, I know that's not how it's intended. That's certainly not yeah. what the law says, but that is how it feels, right? So particularly when I could be doing this because I want to be doing this, I want to raise my daughter and I don't need that much a month to be doing it, right? He certainly never paid me before. Wouldn't need his money now. I mean, frankly, so, you don't need a penny from him. I don't, right? I don't, obviously not. According, certainly not according to the state of Pennsylvania. And if I sue him for support, I don't know how much I get, right? Not worth it. It's really not worth the paperwork, right? So it, forget it. I want the child, not the money. I don't care about the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, you know, there's that piece. That's where we are now. Uh, and where we're trying to go is a brief has been filed to the Superior Court. It's quite lengthy, reproduction of records and the like. I believe that opposing counsel will have a chance to respond if I've read the rules correctly. Again, first time go. <laughs> first appellate case in my life, by the way, it just happens to be mine. Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a brief that's going to that's gonna come around. Oral argument, I, I imagine, would be ordered sometime later. And because this is a custody case, they call it a fast track appeal, which means that um, you, these things usually take about six to eight months total to get a decision. But I just want to make it clear for the folks that don't practice in the appellate courts, like me, for example, I don't, right? Make it clear that getting a decision does not give this thing finality. Yeah. Getting a decision is me getting to play the Hunger Games twice. Yes. That's what this is, right? The decision would be essentially reverse and remand. That means they would vacate this custody order from the summer. Yep. By the way, that doesn't vacate the child support order because that's a whole separate thing. So I'm still paying out of the nose, okay? I pay more in child support than I do in my rent, just so you know. <laughs> Quite honestly, that's the number. Um, so they would vacate the order, but then they would kick it back to the county court. Now, yeah, thank Thankfully, this uh, the learned judge that I had before is retired or will be by the time this is over. Thankfully, 
right? So, so they're, and, and the county's recused. So I imagine they're going to have to call another judge, but I have to try this thing again, right? Again. (laughs) And if, and if I get what I've asked for, then I try it a second time, but this time with the custody eval that I asked for, hopefully, and this time, hopefully with her having a counselor throughout the the process because she's overdue. Yeah. But all this is, is, a, is another go around. That's what I get. And the ultimate hope at the end is that this writes itself out and my daughter comes home. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. But it's like, when, you know, right. and that's a like year? years off. Right. And, and uh, what's so <laughs> frustrating about it? And of course, it's just, it's so frustrating about it is because if, if you could just have it, if, if he and family could be reasonable maybe you could come to a joint decision for her best interest but which is what we used to have yes and that's what we used to have yeah she used to be with me he used to have any set of weekends he wanted i used to deliver her to his doorstep or that of his mother's if she wanted time she got time over the summer they got all the catholic holidays they got his birthday they got his mom's birthday she was there for all the birthday parties that's what we used to have and we used to alternate where her birthday party was going to be whether Pennsylvania or New York, so that both both families didn't have to drive a whole bunch every single year, right? right? So one, one year would be his family making the drive, next year my family making the drive, like that. That's what we had without court intervention. Right. That's what we had because, you know, I was hella cooperative. Could I have taken this kid and disappeared into the wind and given her my name? Yeah. Or better yet, given her my name anyway on principle and then sued him for custody and support day one? Absolutely, I could have. And I had every right to do it. And I didn't, I didn't, because I believed in the cooperation of her having two parents. It's something I didn't get. It's something I didn't have. I, you know, I, I told her and him, I have two pictures of me and my parents, two. I have one from my first birthday and I have one from when I was 10 shortly before my dad went home to Israel. I have two photos. So I was like, to hell with that. Every year we're taking professional pictures and I would invite him and his family and a photographer local to them. And I would drive my butt four hours over there and we would take pictures for her birthdays or for Christmas. And so twice a year, we did family photos, even though we weren't technically a family in in the conventional sense, right? So that she could look back in her little memory box and have really nice, professional, sweet pictures of her and mom and dad. That's how it should be. Yeah, That's how it should be. Um, So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that that this is what it's coming to, um, but ultimately the goal is to have her home. The goal is to have a structure, hopefully be cooperative if they're willing uh, and see to it that that people don't get treated like this in court. Again, yeah. if I can, I think that the judiciary board needs to know how this is going on and perhaps yeah. re-educate the rest of their judges who are senior judges and semi-retired. Uh, and I hope to God that 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 opposing counsel never never finds it tasteful to throw money at a woman in court again, either. You know, like there's certain oh, things that right. happen that it's like, guys, guys, come on. <laughs> it's 2022 in the profession. Come on. Right. You know, let's act like it. Um, but the ultimate goal is to have my daughter home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do think this is eventually going to be corrected. It's just exasperating how, how long it, it is. And I mean, I, I, I'm sitting here, like, just my heart is breaking for, for you and having to go through all of this. Cause you know, frankly, it's just not fucking fair. <laughs> it's not fair. 
Like you don't do anything wrong <laughs> and you don't deserve it. Um, and she doesn't deserve it. So it, it's just like, I, I don't know. I, I'm, but I'm also so proud of you. And so like happy that, that you are the person that you are, that you are fighting it to try to make a right. So someone else doesn't have to go through what you have to, to go through, even though you've had to go through the ledge of shit. <laughs> I think that's, that's part of why I'm doing, it. obviously the, the main goal is right. I'm not letting this sit like this and have my daughter be somewhere. Yeah, she's of course not, not. Like, well, that, that part is the main, that's the mom. <laughs> yeah. It almost goes unsaid, but yes. Yeah. The other <laughs> big part of this is I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm super lucky that one, I have the education that I have and I understand what abusive discretion looks like. And I understand how to articulate it and how to put it on paper and the fact that you can appeal for such a thing. You know, thankfully I, I have that education and I understand those things. And, you know, and, and two, that I had the resources at all to be able to fight this. This is not a cheap thing to do. Like this appeal yeah. is raking me dry people. Let's be real. It's, it's, <laughs> You know, access, they say access to the courts should be afforded to all, but access to the courts is not, it's really expensive. That's why they make us work for free sometimes every year for a few hours, right? Because access to the court is, is a hard thing to get. I, I did a podcast um, a few weeks ago about this case, and I had people reach out to me, one in particular who dealt with this same judge, one woman in particular who you know, didn't have my educational background and didn't understand what her rights were. And she was being, she had the same abuses of discretion, the same inappropriate questions about her sexual history as a child's mother. She's there for a PFA and she's being told by the very same judge, I can't, you know, well, I try to make sure that mothers don't seek to get PFAs for leverage in their custody cases. What? <laughs> you know, and she, and she had no idea. You know, she, there's a lot she didn't know. And she said, you know, thanks to your podcast, I realized I can I can appeal and I can speak out and I can do this. I was so scared. I thought they would take my daughter away completely. I thought they would do this or that. There are a lot of people that don't understand right. that they have rights and that don't understand that they can speak up. And, and frankly, when they even when they have the nerve and they think they can't, they're afraid to because they they don't know the the limitations or extent of you know the, the powers that be right. that can be leveraged against them they don't know and they assume that those powers are are unlimited or infinite right and they look like that you know listen at the beginning of this case i assumed i had to acquiesce to an interim order i didn't i didn't have to acquiesce to shit Right. Yeah. And I was being told that my kid was going to be taken away from me. And I'm like, Ooh, you know, that I wouldn't see her until the litigation was over, which yeah. could take any amount of time. And I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. All right, fine. I'll do the three weekends just so that I get her. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to agree to that. That conciliator didn't make any decisions. She had no capacity to make any decisions in that county. But that's not true in every county. In some counties, conciliators can make decisions. Courtmasters can issue orders. I didn't know the difference at that moment in time. No, I didn't, you know, she's telling me I have the judge's ear. I could have very well told her, all right, I'll take the other ear. Send me to trial. <laughs> you know, I could have said that. I didn't know that I could. Yeah. I know that now I'm, I regret that conversation all the time. Yeah. Right. And so part of the reason for doing this is, you know, a, for your own personal purposes, I want my kid home, but the bigger thing is to show other moms, you know, particularly other Hispanic moms, 
or other moms who may have a history of mental health issues or moms who may have been homeless or moms you know, who, who have some sort of immigrant ancestry or moms who are Jewish or moms with gay parents <laughs> or moms of every other group that this judge <laughs> wanted to offended in this trial and show them that, that they too you know, have rights and that things that are, that are done to them that are prejudiced and unjust don't have to stay that way. It takes a long time. It is grueling. It's dehumanizing. It's undignifying. It has been. It's expensive, mm. right? But they don't have to stay that way. You can, if you choose, you can. And that's the, per- that's the point. Giving them an option, giving them a voice, yeah. they can. And the other big thing is, look, one day my daughter's not going to be a little girl. She's going to be a grown-ass woman. Mm-hmm. And she's going to look to make decisions. And she's going to look at her past. And, you know, you faced, as, as a mom, you face two judgment days, in my opinion, right? The one before God that we all face. And the one before your kids, when they sit there and tell you as adults, everything they think you did wrong. And, <laughs> and parenting them. That day comes around for everybody. <laughs> and I imagine that this is going to be talked about in 20 years, you know, or even less when my daughter's older. And she says to me, well, Ma, what did you do about this? Why didn't you fight harder for me? Why didn't you fight for me? And I'll be damned if that answer is nothing. Like, what did I do? Sure. Here, here's 10, <laughs> 10 volumes of here's she... a thousand pages of transcripts to show you what I did. And 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 two podcasts and a TED talk. You know? <laughs> okay. I mean, I think she's going to say, Mom, thank you for fighting for me. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, there's, there's a chance I could lose the fight though. Really. And, and that's a scary part. Do I, I think it's unjust if I do, I think I, you know, I think I should win it legally, emotionally, objectively, but I could lose it. And I could lose her because I fought for her so hard. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and I need to have something to answer for. I need to have something to show for myself when it's time to have that conversation to say, look, A, I didn't know the outcome. But I fought my damnedest for a certain outcome I thought I, I worked for. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, I, I, I would hope that, you know, maybe in six months we can bring you back. We can get an update of, you know, where thing, things are. And we can talk about anything you want to. <laughs> I, I always want Nicole to talk about things. I, I love talking to you, Nicole, but I, I, I really think everyone listening wants to know what, what's going on. And, you know, I think everyone's going to want this to go the way it should in the right way. And I, I, I think we need to have a follow-up, you know, and keep kind of, you know, keep it all running on it just to make, make sure this is st- staying the course that I think everyone believes it should. Right. And also teaching other women. I mean, you're bringing so much to the table, not for just yourself and your daughter, but for other moms who don't know, you said it perfectly. They don't know their rights. They don't know what can happen next. And you're giving them a prime example of you don't have to stop fighting. The judges aren't gods. They have to respond to somebody. And we have this option. And um, I'm just overwhelmed with how eloquently you are putting it out there for everybody else. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's uncomfortable to put your business on front street, but um, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes that's where it belongs. <laughs> so. But but you also do it with such poise and also with still like a sense of yourself and sense of humor, which I think makes you so relatable too, right. and just likable. And, you know, it's like you, like 
I feel like people people can listen to you and see you and they know they're like they, I like her. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like you could tell yeah. the people in Northampton County that that'd be great because there's a well, slew of them that don't like me so much. <laughs> and I, I think you said it very very like clearly though. I think it's like you're 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 you're, you're different and they don't like they might they don't like different. I think and yeah and I f that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really I appreciate your support and I appreciate you being willing to listen I think you know for, as a mom as in this whole thing that's been half the battle is getting people to listen um, so thank you for giving me an outlet and for giving me a, a platform and a voice to talk to other women and other corporate career lawyer moms you know who are struggling because there's a lot more of them than I thought um yeah, I, I will absolutely follow up and, and we can talk about this or mergers and acquisitions or something <laughs> more or less fun. Uh, really up oh, to you. Boy, that. Well, and I just want to say, you know, thank you, Nicole. Thank you for coming on and talking about this because this is not an easy topic. This is so personal, obviously, and it's so close to, to home and it just is difficult to talk about. So I thank you for sharing and, you know, and being, you know, so transparent in what what you're what you're sharing too so i appreciate it i'm i will speak for robin i think robin appreciates it and i think everyone listening appreciates it so right. you know thank you again for for coming on always coming on but for sharing sharing this part of your story thanks yeah you've made it you've made it fun it's, it's a crappy <laughs> story but this is the fun part so, so thank you uh, and, you know, of course, for all our listeners out there, of course, if you like what you hear, please like and subscribe to the Defense of Arrest on Apple Podcasts. And you can also find us at a TDNR Podcast. Um, and this is probably going to air after Nicole's TED Talk, but I can't go without dropping it because you have a TED Talk. Hey. I think it's on Sunday. This Sunday. It is. Yeah, it's this Sunday. Uh, you can live stream it at TEDxHartford.com. And it starts at 630. So it'll be me and seven other amazing people. I don't know what order I'm in yet. They don't tell you until the well, day of. Will it be recorded? So then yes. listening to this in like a month, we'll be able to, to <laughs> yeah, back yeah. To you, it. Can live, you can live stream it. It will be recorded uh, and then it gets put on YouTube by, by the actual Ted, Ted organization. So it's pretty cool. All right. Well, then I hope everyone tunes into that. Um, and I'm, I'm tuning in on Sunday, but absolutely the listeners don't have that won't have that um, opportunity who <laughs> um, are listening to this actual podcast, but at least you can download it. But Thank you again for everyone who's tuning in.